This is a Need 10 Media production. All right, welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Clayberg, and in this episode, we get to know Tara McFarlane. She's a highly educated civil engineer that found her way out of that world and had taken a lot of her emotionally and then found her way uh, into having a spiritual awakening to help others that have gone through maybe some similar experiences as she's done. Uh, again, this show, uh, this uh, That's a Job podcast, I want to introduce you to jobs, careers, and work that many people out there maybe don't know what they are or even jobs they're aware of and maybe how people can get in those roles. But Tara, welcome to the podcast. And as we begin, I want you to go back to when you were growing up and getting ready to finish high school. What path did you think you would be on after you graduated? Uh, hi, Nate. Thanks for that um, introduction. Yes. Yeah, so that's a great question because high school was where I had one idea of what I thought I wanted to be doing, but other people had other ideas for me. So when I was in high school, I was really interested in history. And um, that was probably my favorite class. I was a ballet dancer and I just had these, like this really kind of artistic and creative side of me. And as I was getting ready to graduate, what really started to come through pretty strongly was, well, you can't really do anything with a history degree. So why don't you go to engineering school? Because you're good at math. Somebody said I was good at math. I can tell you I didn't like math. (laughs) And, you know, I was also interested in the sciences and things like that. And so really what was happening for me in high school was this sort of divergence between probably where I really wanted to go and where I was steered to go. Talk through more of that. And and it was interesting you say that because I think that happens a lot and people do have ideas for you. And, and, you know, sometimes we have some negative thoughts towards people, but, you know, you got to admit a lot of times these people do care about you and they want you to be successful. They only know you from what they've seen you do, right? Or what you've been a part of or how your test scores have been. That had to be something as you were looking to probably evolve, and we'll get to this, the full story in a little bit, but looking to evolve out of where you're at, was there maybe some sense that you were going to disappoint some people that were happy you were on this civil engineering path or on that engineering, you know, road trip, if you will? Um, there definitely was a sense of that. And so, you know, the environment that I grew up in, um, my dad's a scientist and my mom uh, is a scientist and also has an engineering degree. She had been working on her own engineering degree. Like when I was in high school, she kind of had one of those um, non-traditional type paths, I would say, and like really finding her career after having kids and, you know, and all of that stuff. Achievement and doing something technical was, was, uh, definitely, the thing that was talked about the most in, in my household, you know, it was seen as you get the job that's going to pay money and then you can have these other hobbies that you like on the side. And so for me, I was the oldest of four. I was the only girl. I was very used to, okay, well, this must be good for me. So I'm going to go do this thing. And so then the engineering school that I went to was strictly engineering, not a whole lot of crossover between different types of degrees that you could get. What I like to tell people is I just put the blinders on and I plowed through for five years and then I graduated. Um, well, and you're talking about, you know, Colorado School of Mines is, is where I think you're at. You were, yes. that's gotta be a heavily male dominated school. 
And that would that had to be challenging too, I would think. It was even it was a little more than challenging because I was coming out of an all-girls Catholic school. <laughs> and so one extreme this, to the other. A whole culture shock that happened in the first like year. It was it was a very interesting place to be. And at the time that I was at the Colorado School of Mines, it was probably about 22% women uh, at the school. You know, you find your pockets of support, which for me ended up being joining a sorority. And so that like we could have a support system. It's very competitive there. I am a competitive person. And so I was bound and determined to get that degree no matter what it took. And so, I did. So you move on from, from getting that degree and you enter the world of civil engineering, I guess, you know, talk about taking that first job, talk about the work that you were doing. And I guess I want, I'm asking that. So people listening to this that have, uh, have students or are maybe looking at a pathway in civil engineering, what, what is that work? What part of it did you, do you feel like you really enjoyed doing? Yeah. So my first job out of college was actually not in civil engineering. So my first degree was in geological engineering. And in my head, I was how I was going to make this work was I was going to be a geologist because I was interested in geology. So I switched my focus from history of people to history of the earth, essentially. I was working in the oil and gas field and that job only lasted like two years. It wasn't a fit for me. It was software, um, technical support that really was not a good fit for me. So then how I found myself into civil engineering then was when I was looking for a job after that one ended was just answering an ad in the paper for these small consulting companies in Denver who were looking for people to do inspections on uh, house construction. And so, and they were specifically looking for engineers so that they could train the engineers up to do the designs, but you start in, in inspections. Really, the things that I liked about that job is it was a better fit for my personality because I'm a very direct person. The construction crews don't really mind that. Sometimes they minded it coming from a woman. Um, there was some of that feedback. It was like I liked the, uh, the on-the-job training, the doing, the getting out, the watching how things were built. And then that's a lot about how I learned and about sort of the interactions and what really engineering could entail. So you moved through there and, and you spent 15 years with the Bureau of Reclamation. And I, I don't even know what that is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and even what kind of work that you did, but uh, you know, I guess it, it sounds cool. Was it cool? I guess maybe uh, I guess take me through that. Yeah. So the Bureau of Reclamation was where I, I thought that's where my career started, honestly. So I ended up in there about seven ish, nine years into my career. It's a, it's a federal agency. And if you think of dams like Hoover Dam, Glen Canyon Dam, those big dams in the Western United States, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation is the owner of those dams. And there's like about 400 high hazard, meaning could flood people and kill people dams in, in the Western United States that Reclamation owns and operates. I found myself in the dam literally, engineering. Literally, it was a damn job. It was I a damn job. Into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's became, the first time you've heard that, I'm sure. Uh -huh. And I became a dam engineer, which was one of my favorite things to tell <laughs> people for a while. <laughs> that was really exciting um, because that's that was the job that I finally felt a sense of purpose in. And, and for me, one of the values that I've uncovered is that my probably my number one value is to be a contribution. I found myself in the world of dam safety, meaning let's make sure the dams don't fail. And that gave me a, you know, really a sense of purpose. And so I, I was in that career for 15 years. Most of it was as a technical design team lead. I went out to dams and inspected them. They went, went through these inspections about every eight to 10 years and very comprehensively, we'd have to write up reports on them. 
if we found something that we thought needed to be fixed, then we went in and like started to like really dive in deep into the details. And that was the kind of work that I found exciting because it wasn't, um, it was different all the time. Like we're kind of doing the same thing, but every dam is different. And so you would get different problems to solve essentially. So it sounds like a, a good job, right? It was a, you know, it was a great uh, job. Yeah. Look, working for, uh, I guess, government more or less, and it's a good job. 15 years, a lot of a lot of things that, that probably people admired that you had something like that. But what happened along <laughs> the way? There was there there was a light that was shining that you were looking forward at, trying to see what that was, is what it sounds like. Yeah. So along the way, one of the things I struggled with the most in my career was this idea of feeling like an imposter or a fraud. There was a lot of I'm not good enough and I have to prove myself. So I was in a lot of like, I have to prove that I'm a good engineer. I have to prove that I can do this. When I was in the like the technical side of it, doing designs, it wasn't as big a deal that I would sometimes go sideways on communication with people just because not only am I very direct when I speak, I also was trying to prove something. And so then I would end up in conflict, not enough conflict to make it a really big deal though. So for me, what happened was that I moved from this sort of technical design team lead into a program manager role. So that role was more like working with multiple offices and these big projects. And I was part of the funding office. So I was the one who had the money. You know, I'm not doing design anymore. I'm basically a a project manager type. And then all of a sudden communication became a really big deal. So I had this huge project that I was one of the leaders on. Um, It was $500 million. I had never imagined that I would ever touch a project that size. It was like basically the project that if I could get through leading this project, then my trajectory up the corporate ladder was probably pretty set. Getting through that with a, there was a partner on the project who wasn't government. And so we had, you know, we're educating each other on how to work. It was technically difficult. There were so many people involved and it was, it was like high profile, but really what happened was that I started to get this feedback that I hadn't really had before. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I was exhausted. I had two young kids at the time and I was working full time and I was feeling just like really empty. Plus I had all these back issues. Like my body was basically breaking down at that point. Yeah. You know, you talk about the feedback, you don't have to go into detail, but you know, was it uh, just how it was presented? Was it the content? It wasn't much direction on some of that stuff or, you know, feedback, you know, can you talk through that a little bit deeper? Sure. Like one of the things that I think is missed in um, technical fields is training people um, in the so-called soft skills, which I say are the hardest skills to learn. We are always graded on our technical prowess. And so what happens is that you can go, you can move up through the ranks pretty easily on your technical ability. And there's not a lot of like leadership training that's done. So when you, when, at least for me, when I moved from this technical to a non-technical, more people-oriented role, I was not trained and ready for it. And so the feedback that I was getting was like, you know, demeanor in meetings wasn't good. Like I looked angry in meetings or I can't say that to someone, which usually was a, a man with 30 plus years of experience. I needed to be more diplomatic. I needed, so I'm like getting sort of like feedback like this. 
Um, I had people calling me a bully and a tyrant in my leadership, <laughs> which yeah. was not fun. And, and then I, I also didn't feel like I was getting support from probably like really management and the way it was set up so that like, I, I could start to work on some of these things. That gets very deep when you look at, you know, durable skills or soft skills or human skills there, there's all sorts of different out there, but yeah, you were getting into it of this feedback you were getting, but was anybody helping you learn it or adapt or, you know, move forward in that? It's not just in your field. You see it, you see it a lot of different places. Um, and there, there really wasn't a lot, you know, a, a lot of like the trainings that we do are sort of these one-off trainings. So it's like, oh, we're noticing people are having some trouble communication. So let's send you to a two-day emotional intelligence class. And then that's it. You know, there's no integration or there's no implementation of things that you learn in these classes. And so it like, it wasn't just me. It's just overall the way things were set up was there just wasn't the support to like get integrate and then implement. How do we actually interact on projects and how does our personality play into that? And how do other people, and what do other people need? Like I wasn't even aware that of how I sort of operate behavior wise um, or how much I can like see different things. I could see a project going off the rails and I'd be like, how come nobody else can see this project going off the rails? <laughs> right. And so I, I would just feel like I was screaming into a void, but really what was happening was I was about 20 steps down the road and everybody else was kind of back. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to like back up and meet them where they were. And I, and I wasn't learning that. So there was like in my job itself, there was, there just wasn't the support for, okay, how are we going to work through this? Everybody needs to work through it. I honestly felt like I was getting dumped on because it was easy to dump on me. So I guess as you're as you're coming through in the in the 20 years of being an engineer, you you probably had new grads coming in or people that were doing co-ops. Was there any anything you did as I guess from a management standpoint that you saw this not working as far as that training? Is there some mentorship that maybe you got some value on trying to help some of the people coming up and maybe especially female engineers? Yeah. So I was never actually in a, a people manager role. So I was in a project management role and, and um, there were, I think there were some programs, but not a lot. I, generally what I saw in my career was that people would find their own mentors that's what I did. I had, you know, multiple mentors throughout my career. You know, they're just, I wasn't involved in, you know, helping people or helping, especially women, like integrate into the, the system. Like it sort of felt like, I mean, like when I showed up, I had, uh, I was already a registered professional engineer. I had several years of experience. And so it was just kind of like, there wasn't really onboarding. There was, here you go. We're going to put you on a project and you'll, you'll get up to speed. And then a year later, you finally feel like you figured it out, right? Like that's kind of how I, that was my experience. And I think by the time I left, that was probably still the experience, <laughs> even if you were new. So as you, as you look at, uh, you know, how you evolved and, and what was happening with you personally and feedback and things like that, when did the idea come through or what was the, uh, the catalyst to look at creating your own endeavor and 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 calling it uh, create conversation, I guess take me through the uh, the birth of that and what what it is. Um, yeah, so that idea came through after I I definitely hit like I like to say I hit the wall like 
I hit a wall and went to my supervisor and said, I need to be off this project and I can't work full-time anymore. Like I just needed a break at that point. And they were very supportive of that. Like, it's not that I wasn't being supported in some ways. Um, they were very supportive in, okay, let's figure this out and we'll give you a break. So that's where I started all of my personal growth and development work, like outside of work. Um, I had uh, somebody I had been working with who was actually sort of like kind of mentoring me and guiding me towards personal growth and development. And once I started getting about a year into that, what happened was I got, I, I got really connected with myself and a little bit more with intuition, my inner guidance and my inner knowing. And I was like, I can't stay here because what I was seeing was I want to, well, I wanted to change the whole industry. My, my, uh, my saying at the time was, I'm just going to become the Brené Brown for engineers. It's going to be great. <laughs> And there's a niche Um, because vulnerability was the thing that I was not willing to be when I was, when I was in these situations, I was not willing to be vulnerable. I was not willing, you know, I was getting, I'm getting this feedback and I'm, I'm blaming everybody around me and I'm in this victim mindset. Right. So I started to do all the work around, well, where is that coming from? What's the victim and, and all of that. And then I found, oh, Okay, some of it is me for sure. Some of it's the system. Wait a minute, I'm an adult. I can choose what I want to do now. And so this idea came through. I think it was like in 2019 that I can't stay here anymore because I can't change from within. I mean, you. What one of the things that one of my mentors said to me when I was still at Reclamation was, well, the way the government works is you sometimes have to just be okay with moving the needle a little bit. And I was like, that is not what I'm out to do. <laughs> and um, he was really supportive of me. Like I, when I was in that, there's this term called entrepreneurship. So I was still in my job and I was trying to figure out like, what is it that I'm going to do? Like, am I a trainer? Am I a coach? Am I a, you know, what, what is this thing that I'm going to create? And my supervisor allowed me to go, okay, we need to look at team dynamics on all of our projects that we're leading. I basically changed my job description. So the last like year or two that I was there, what I was doing was actually more in line with what I wanted to be doing, which was let's look at how we're all functioning and working together and what our personalities are and what everybody needs and start to like actually have transparent conversations where people can be okay with being vulnerable. It was a very interesting exercise because what I was finding was, you know, if I'm going to um, facilitate a discussion about what are the things you like about the projects, what, where do you think we need to work on them and, and stuff like that, people were actually pretty open to sharing. Knowing I was kind of out of my depth at that point, we contracted a consultant to come on board to do like a full evaluation of all of our projects. But as I was doing that, I was still, I was getting coaching training. I was wondering, okay, what's the next step? And I was also noticing that at this point I was down to only working about two days a week and I was still feeling completely burned out. And this is, this is also pandemic time we're in now, right? So like I'm working from home, we're dealing with remote schooling and all of those things. And I'm getting coached. I'm getting my own training and coaching 
and opening up to like using intuition, tapping into like all these things that were super woo woo. And like five years ago, I would have been like, are you kidding? But like working with like energy and things like that, I was like, I'm burned out. I, I'm going to have to like, I really need to figure out what's going on. You know, the, basically the birth of create conversation is this idea of one, that's literally what I'm doing. So I might as well just make the name obvious <laughs> and right. it's this idea of bridging between, you know, our heads and our logic and all that technical know-how. And then, but really like what's inside. And like, if we drop in and we sort of like work a little bit more with like how we feel about things and we can be a little bit more vulnerable about what we need in terms of support, then it seems like our projects would go so much better as engineers. So when you look at, I, I guess the problem that uh, that you're solving for people, how do you how do you how do you do that that pitch? You know, somebody listening saying, okay, what problem is she solving again? Who listening to this could we help connect to you to your website to your social media uh, to try and see how you can help them find their way out and and their way forward, if you will. Yeah. So the problem that I'm you know, trying to solve here is that one where somebody feels either stuck or they have an idea and they're like really not sure how they're supposed to like bring any of this to, to life. Um, often that's when we're, we're stuck in our heads, especially us analytical types. And so what I do is help them get that idea or like get those things out of their heads and like down onto paper so that, you know, basically build your vision. It's all about getting connected from the head, like just get down into like your heart or your gut or like where you feel things in your body. And that will lead you to what your vision is. If you look back to the people you've worked with, can you kind of see who those people are and the worlds they're in? What point in their lives? Is, is there a cross section or is it, is it more broad than that? What I see a lot in people is I've been in this job for a long time. I guess it's good enough, but I'm not really happy okay. in it. That's usually what I see. And that's the, and that's the piece where I'm like, well, what if we look at either how, you know, how can you make, you don't necessarily have to leave your job, but what can you do that like brings more of your passion into the job? Or do you need to make a change? Because this really isn't lined up with how you work and function which was my thing. Like I'm, it wasn't lined up with how I work and function. Like I, I, I like to tell people, I don't like to do puzzles, but I really like the puzzle of people figuring all that out. Yeah. So where can people go? And is there something specific they should be looking for on your website or social media uh, to, to really kind of get them going to, to connect with you? Yeah. So my website is createconversationllc.com. And you know, the best place to start um, is a discovery call with me where we can just talk about what's going on because that's, I use a lot of intuition in my coaching. So that's what I do. I like listen to people and tune in and then I can ask the question. So if you go to my website, you can just fill out the email um, contact form and then I'll get back to you. I'm going to put that connection in the show notes and, and social media. And, you know, it's, it's great to, to visit with you, Tara and uh, the, the life that you you went and the biggest thing that I that I come out of it's that I think people should be aware of you know people had other ideas for you and I think that's consistent uh, for so many people and I see it a lot with with high school students and other students I work with 
just because you're good at math and this is what you should do, what you get into. I thank you again for your time and we look forward to connecting again in the future. Okay, thank you, Nate. Again, everybody, thank you for listening and being on this journey and please subscribe and share this podcast. That's a job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy and College Career Discovery Course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.